appreciate our time this morning. Um, I want to, for those of you just coming in, my name is Cindy. I want to thank Kyle for that really nice introduction. Um, I am so excited to be here. I love this church. Um, I love the staff, and I'm looking forward to some fun things that we're going to be doing uh, in the arts area and the creativity area over the next few months, so stay tuned for that. Um, if you happen to be at Creative One and you want to talk to me after church, I'll be right down here. Um, I want you to know, though, this morning how much pressure there is to be up here, um, because in the year that I have been here, Jonathan managed to pull off the Chick-fil-A nuggets on a Sunday miracle, okay? And then Mr. Rowland, who has been a longtime friend, managed to um, serve bacon a few weeks ago. So I um, am feeling a little pressure that there might be this food thing that's happening here at Pulpit Rock. And so I um, came up with the only thing I knew just like the little boy with the fishes and the loaves. Um, no, it's not fish and loaves. But I did bring um, some Skittles and some Starburst. And the reason I'm passing those out is that um, when we go into our worship planning meetings, that's, I'm known to take my Skittles jar in. And so this morning, y'all think you're, I'm joking, we have baskets of Skittles and Starburst for you all this morning, okay? Just make sure that you remember that when Thomas comes back, okay? <clears throat> um, I have to tell you, I love this uh, series, this worship series that we're in called Coloring Outside the Lines. Um, I, like I'm guessing so many of you, have probably lived life with people telling you how to stay within the lines and not really get out of them. And so about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, really, I began on, to go on a journey where... Um, I needed to get outside those lines, and I discovered that in my own art, even, actually, that uh, my art was not really meant to be rigid and constrictive. It was really meant to express and get outside the lines, and um, I've learned that really life is meant to be lived that way. And, you know, we're created to be expressive people. We're created to worship. And I believe that in one way or another, both of those things are going to happen. Um, but this series has been a great, both a reminder and a challenge for me in my head and my heart um, to expand just a little wider, a little deeper, this idea that worship is so much bigger than anything we could possibly imagine, which is why trying to define it, it can be challenging at times, right? We want to limit it to the songs and the music on a Sunday morning. And like Roland talked about a few weeks ago with the box, that we can put all of our favorite songs into a box and sit it on the stage. But the amount of space that that leaves in this room um, is like, that's, that's, this is a part of, not the whole of. And so um, this morning, I want to read to you, I'm going to start out with in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and this is the message where it says, um, it's Paul writing, and he says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your sleeping, your eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. So several years ago at another church in the midst of a worship series, a definition came out that I really grabbed a hold of um, and to embrace in my journey, and it's this. It's worship is my active, all-of-life response 
to who God is and what he does. And if we look at the key, some of the key words in there for, for me and the, the accountability that I have to the statement, um, the key words being active, worship is my active all of life, meaning that I'm leaning in, I'm not sitting back and waiting for God to come to me. All of life being what we just read about. It's our eating, our sleeping, um, going to work, um, raising our families, serving, our creativity, our relationships. It just means that it's all of it. And the response is to who God is. It's kind of a twofold in this statement, meaning that we're acknowledging that God is sovereign and holy and love and faithful and merciful. He's a forgiver, a strength, sustainer, provider. And the list just goes on and on, as we know. And I've learned that I can respond to who God is, knowing those things to be true about him, despite the circumstances that I find myself in. And the, the second part of that is I respond also to what he does, right? It's what he, what he gives, how he leads, how he loves, how he guides, um, how he's teaching, how he's forgiving. So worship is really, it's this all of life surrender to this God who wants to be in the center of all of it. It's he is and he does. And out of that we respond and we worship. This morning, I want us to, to take a step back for just a little bit. Um, we all have uh, rearview mirrors in our vehicles, uh, and you know that you can adjust them just a little bit to see maybe a little bit better what's behind you, right? You know that if you um, stare too long in the rearview mirror, you might be in trouble about what's happening in front of you or run off the road, that kind of thing. So it's not, they are not meant for us to stare at for a really long time. It's just about a glance. And this morning, I want us to look as in, a, in a glance-like state um, back to Exodus um, regarding the tabernacle. Um, in this, I've, I've learned also with the whole uh, staring backwards, sometimes we get caught in looking at everything behind us, and it causes us to miss what's in front of us. And I, I hope my prayer this morning is that we um, grab a hold of something new, knowing what's back behind and grasping what is in front of us. Um, in Exodus, starting around chapter 19 to the end of the book, we kind of pick up where Moses has spent 40 days and 40 nights uh, in the presence of God on a mountain, getting a lot of details um, regarding the tabernacle, but also the Ten Commandments. Now, we know that the Ten, Ten Commandments had to happen twice, because Moses had a little bit of an anger issue uh, when he came back down the first time and he saw how the people were behaving. And um, he kind of had to enter into this dialogue with God, like, well, what had happened was. Um, and so God was like, okay, you know what? We're going to just start all over again, get another set. Um, he wrote the Ten Commandments on there, and away they went. But Moses was trying to capture all this, these specific details about um, what God was wanting in this portable dwelling place called a tabernacle. And it was going to be a place for God's divine presence. We know that God is omnipresent, right? Um, he's everywhere. But in this setting, he was choosing to have a more intense visual way of showing that he was with them, he, that he was with the people in a cloud over that tabernacle by day. And then the, there would be fire in the tabernacle at night. Now I'm guessing it took Moses a little while to capture all the details, 
when God began downloading because we see how specific God was being, um, everything from like the color of yarn, the exact wood, stone, spices, um, not to mention how many gold, bronze, silver clasp, uh, the exact measurements that were going to be needed, the placement of the furniture, how the furniture was to be made. But in chapter 25, he's down, so he's downloaded all that to Moses. And then there's kind of this pause, and he instructs Moses to ask the people to bring an offering to get this whole thing started. And we read, you are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. I love this line because God did not say they have to. He was talking about them responding. That's the responding that we've talked about in worship of trying to, of being obedient with what God was asking of them. And if you continue reading on, you'll see how the people showed up, they brought their offerings, they built this special place of worship. Moses inspects it, he blesses it, and the people celebrate. So I want you to stay with me for just a minute, because if you continue over into the first part of Leviticus, this starts to give us some insight to the different offerings, the anointing of the priest, and the beginning of their ministry. And really what this was, was all about what was happening on the inside of the tabernacle. Everything that we had read about before was what it looked like, how it was set up. But now we're beginning to see that there's a process that people are going to have to go through, right, for the atonement of sin. The priests were to receive the offerings, the animal sacrifices from the people, and ask for the atonement. So once they had gone through this process, God's presence would then appear in the form of fire. And, and, all the, and when all the people would see it, they shouted for joy, and they fell face down, singing, I could sing of your love forever. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was really for Jonathan, because that's just one of his favorite songs. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so now you may be thinking, or we've been looking in the rearview mirror just a little bit too long, Cindy, but here's the point I want us to get a hold of. For them, worship was mainly about sacrifice, but they had to go through someone in order to do it. They had to go through the priest in order to accomplish it. Their worship roughly meant to take an animal to the tabernacle to be slaughtered in honor of God and in atonement for their sins. Now this in today's world would look a little bit different if we overlaid all of that process onto this building, this being the tabernacle. We would know that there would be one entrance, and we're going to use the one up in the upper uh, parking lot. Uh, there would be no other doors around. And on a Saturday night, you would pick out your best goat, lamb, calf, uh, load it into your SUV uh, on Sunday morning, and you would bring it into the upper parking lot on Sunday. From there, our priest, and we'll pick Kyle and Susie and Jonathan and Roland, um, you would bring your offering to them. They would meet you on the outside. They would, you would get, give them your offering, and then you would step aside and you would wait. Only they were the ones that really understood the process of what was happening from slaughtering the animal, to placing the blood on the altar, to lighting incense, to um, lighting the lamps, to eating the bread. There was a process that they would have to go through offering prayers until the, holy the high priest would actually stand right outside these doors. And these doors are going to represent the veil for us this morning. Now, the high priest was the only one that would be able to go into the Holy of Holies in the original in our original tabernacle that we read about. 
um, that process for that high priest involved him um, cleaning himself up, washing in a blood, because the veil was the thing that separated man from God. It separated um, God from sin. God could not have contact with sin. And so it was only when the high priest had cleaned himself up that he could enter into the Holy of Holies. So imagine our high priest, and I picked Jonathan because he's the tallest. So Jonathan would arrive down here, he would shower, change his clothes, and get ready to come in, and only he would be allowed into this room, and here he would offer prayers for the forgiveness of our sins the whole time we're waiting outside. And I think there'd probably be a sigh of relief when we would see the cloud above the roof knowing that our sins were forgiven, that our offering was acceptable, until next week when we had to do it all over again. Now, if we fast forward in Scripture, we know that the tabernacle becomes uh, a permanent fixture called the temple, but it still held the same process. It still had the veil that separated God from man. But there was a plan, as we know. God had been laying out this plan from the very beginning. And he knew that everything in the tabernacle were mere shadows of things to come. They were intentional. And ultimately, each one would end up pointing us to Jesus. Now remember, there was only one entrance into the tabernacle, right? John 14, 6 tells us that the only way to the Father is through Jesus. So now we're starting to read that the only way to God is through his Son, and now some things are beginning to come to light. Very familiar verse that I'm sure we all uh, have known for years and years is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a verse that sometimes is used uh, in a negative context. But when I was thinking about this last night, it just, it just shared so much about who God is and what he's done for us. When we take a glance at what Jesus' death on the cross, what it means, we know that it gives us a picture of his sacrifice for each of us, that our sins are forgiven, and not only is the issue of sin taken care of, but when Jesus gave up his spirit, scripture tells us that the veil tore, and it tore from top to bottom. Now this was a, a almost 60 foot high um, curtain. It was about four inches thick, and so not necessarily easy to tear, but when, when Christ uh, said it is finished and bowed his head, that veil tore, and in that moment, everything changed. Because when the veil tore, God's glory rushed and filled the earth, and it has never, he's never tried to contain it since. And he also, in that moment, it's almost like he was saying, come on, there's nothing now to stand between you and me. Hebrews 10, 19 uh, through 22 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. So Jesus, through his death, being a human sacrifice, because an animal sacrifice was never going to be enough, removed the barrier between us and God. 
And God has never contained it, his presence or tried to hide his presence from us again. So right now, I just want to pause for a minute. And all that I've shared with you about kind of looking back, and I want to kind of focus our eyes on the now. I want you to take a little bit of an assessment. Um, I'm going to give you just a few seconds. I want you to close your eyes, whatever, whatever you need to do. But I want you to take an assessment if, and answer this question. And I want you to answer it really honestly in your spirit. We're not going to share it with anybody. Um, I want you to answer this question of where are you at in your own worship journey? Where are you at? Just be honest with yourselves for just a few seconds. The reason that I'm asking you this question is something that um, kind of hit me a few weeks ago. And here's the thing. If what we read this morning in Scripture is true, believing that it is, if Jesus' death on the cross allows us to have full access to God, meaning that there is nothing and no one standing in our way to communicate with him, to have an open, honest relationship, to worship him for who he is, then why sometimes do we live like the veil never tore? We're living at times like we've still got to clean ourselves up and get our act together, just like the high priest who had to wash himself before he ever entered in. He entered into this relationship with God, and we're allowing ourselves to think we've got to get our act together. We've got to get cleaned up. It's almost like we're actually picking up the needle and the thread, and we're going back to the veil, and we're beginning to stitch it together. And why sometimes do we do that? I, I, I get the humanness in us. Sometimes it's so easy to buy into that lie um, that tells everyone that tells us that everyone's sins, else's sins are forgiven, that everyone else's um, can receive this profound love from God. That it's for all of those people, but it's not for me. And in our humanness, I really I get it, because maybe we're not sure if we can trust Him. After all, maybe He's not doing what we thought He should. So we add a few more stitches. Maybe he's not answering our prayers. Maybe he's silent. Maybe he's allowed some things to happen in life that has caused a whole lot of pain and turned life inside out. Maybe sometimes, if you're like me, we start to think that he's too busy for us, so maybe we should just take matters into our own hands um, and just help him out a little bit. And we, con we continue to put the stitches in the veil. We're living as if Jesus' death on the cross, that his sacrifice wasn't enough. It's like we're overlaying the reality of our own human limitations onto a God who is limitless. And I want to remind all of us this morning that God is not interested in how put together we are, 
how clean we are before coming to him. Our last scripture just read that we can come with a sincere heart, meaning not a perfect one, not one without blemish, but a sincere one that um, in my life means that I'm coming with a heart that is raw and that is real. A few months ago, I started teaching an art journaling class for some women who were struggling in their um, marriages, and they had asked me to come in and do some creative sessions with them. And the second, first week had went great. The second week, um, it was a Monday. It was just a messy Monday in the fullest sense of that definition. And I, uh, had, I had tears all day long. I really wanted just to stay in bed and close uh, the doors and pull the covers over my head and non-exist. Um, but as we all know how we often do, we've got to get up and, and deliver. So I loaded up the supplies in the, in the car and started driving to the springs and about halfway down, um, constantly checking to see if my makeup had run because uh, I was trying to get my act together. Uh, I was even pinching the skin. Do you all ever do that, pinch the skin and try to get physical pain to take away um, the tears? And so uh, none of that was working. And I was doing the self-talk saying, um, Cindy, you have got to get your act together. Uh, I was just a mess. And on the way down, then I discovered that I had left um, one of the key elements, tools that we were going to need that night. <clears throat> and so now I'm going to be really late. So I texted my friend. I stopped at the store. Um, I got caught in a long line of people, as we often do, and these people were arguing about what kind of muscle cream to, they were going to purchase, and I would just, my patience was at the end, uh, and I felt like my anxiety was just full-blown. So I finally arrive, minutes late, I get all of my stuff, I go flying into the room, and I kind of half fall into my seat, and as I do, I kind of vomit art supplies all over the, the uh, table, which now has sent everybody else scrambling that was in there. Um, and we don't know each other that well. So they're gathering everything up and putting it back on the table. And I was waiting uh, for something deep and profound to come out of my mouth. Um, and nothing really did. Instead, what came out was, why is it that we spend so much time and energy trying to pretty up our messes? Um, it's kind of quiet in the room. And then all of a sudden, the craziest thing started happening. These women, again, whom I didn't really know, one by one started sharing about their messy Monday and how they didn't want to come and the, some of the things that they had said to uh, their spouses or their kids that they were regretting. And everybody ended up sharing just in honesty about where we were. And this is what I, I thought about it after that night. Um, this was the lesson that I learned, that sometimes in our vulnerability, we can find connection. And sometimes in connection, we find relationship. And it's in that relationship that we find community. We were all messy that night, but we still worshiped. We worshiped in the rawest, most real sense of who we were in those moments yet still choosing to acknowledge who, that God was still sovereign, that he was love, that he was forgiving, and the list just went on with us that night. And I have to tell you that it was one of the most freeing nights for me. 
again, not have to realize that I don't have to have it all together. And I haven't always been here in this place I am now um, and how I'm choosing to worship these days. I have a backstory, just like you all, um, where I grew up uh, trying to be the good girl, trying not to cause any trouble. Went to a small Southern Baptist church. Um, and I can remember talking about praise songs, not necessarily worship. In fact, I remember one day there was a lady that raised her hand, and she was the talk of the church like for the next two weeks, which I didn't understand what the issue was, but it was just that, it was just that kind of a church, okay? So during these years since then, on my own, of discovery of what worship is, I found myself struggling with this dialogue between my head and my heart. And I wanted so much to tell my head to stop talking and let my heart lead, especially when it came to actually responding in worship, especially in congregational, these moments that we come together on a Sunday morning. Um, music and creativity are language that my heart speaks, and there have been moments that God has used those to lead me into some very sacred times in my life. But most of the time, when it was coming to congregational worship, my head was saying, gosh, Cindy, um, don't stand. You might, um, people might think that you think you're better than they are. Maybe, maybe if you raise your hand that people are going to judge you and, and think that you're a show-off. Or maybe you're going to stand and raise your hand together, and then you're going to block somebody's view from the stage. This was the kind of stuff that was running through my, through my head. And after a while, um, Unfortunately, my head won for quite a while. It was just kind of a, a long season. But then God began, God being God, turned up the music and started wooing my heart back to a place that it was beginning to feel again. And I, in what seemed like the most natural way, wanted to respond. I wanted to lean in. I was grasping that this idea of worship really was all of my life, messy and all. One of the most precious gifts my husband ever gave me, besides loving me, was this challenge to always find my place in worship. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when spouses say things, um, sometimes we just don't need them to say anything. But um, sometimes they volunteer things, and we don't really like them in that moment. And often Chuck would do that to me if there was just a situation that I was in uh, and he would say, Skittles, you gotta, you got to find your place of worship. So now you know why Skittles, right? That was my nickname, Chuck called me. Um, and I, I get that it's easy uh, to worship when we're being blessed financially, when things are going well, when we've gotten, um, when God is just, seems like he's just blessing in ways that we couldn't even fathom. But when the phone calls come, that wreck our hearts when an unwanted diagnosis is given, when we lose a job, when a marriage breaks apart, or there isn't enough money to cover next month's bills, how easy is it for us to choose to worship in those moments? Last year, um, at the end of November, I received a phone call that literally turned my world upside down. Chuck had been involved in a car accident and everything I knew to be true about myself, about him, about us, about God just was shattered when the voice on the other end of the phone told me that he had not survived. 
he and I went from talking about what kind of pizza and chicken wings he wanted after I left here on a Thursday night after rehearsal to me planning his service a few days later. In those moments, um, reeling with disbelief and not wanting to grasp this new reality that I found myself in, I knew I had a choice to make. Would I respond in worship to the God who, actually my husband, who was a worship leader, had led me to so many times through music, would I respond to him? I knew God in those moments to be love. I knew him to be strength. I knew that I trusted in his sovereignty, even though I couldn't understand the why. Those truths I had not only experienced in those moments, but I had experienced in my past. And I knew that I could count on them to be truth. And so I chose to worship. Easy to do? Not at all. These past eight months have been the hardest I have ever walked. Time has not healed this separation from Chuck. It's only really, really re revealed the chasm that he left in my life. And I constantly hear him saying, Skittles, find your place of worship. And there are still times that I tell him to stop talking. My life has changed. God has not. This is the, one of the greatest things I've learned in this week in prepping for this sermon, is that God is as much in the details of my life today as he was when he was downloading all those details to Moses. Everything was intentional then, and everything is intentional now. There are some things sometimes that I can't sing the lyrics of the songs that we sing here, like It Is Well With My Soul, but I raise my hand with a longing to be there one day. There are moments when the words cannot find their way out of my mouth, so I let your voices sing for me, and my inside my spirit agrees, and it is still worship. I found a social media post from Chuck a few weeks ago, and these are his words. If God changed, if God changed the melody, if God changed the melody to your song, would you still sing it? He says, it's funny how our plans are so easily changed by the struggles of everyday life. But although the melody may change, our God remains the same. So sing your song even louder. And don't allow anyone or anything to hinder your progress and your praise. And then he concluded it with, I'm just saying, which means he was trying not to cause any trouble for anybody, which he often did. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, I believe God's wanting us to lay down the needle and the thread 
and to stop trying to stitch this veil back together. I believe he's saying, come on. You're invited in, everyone. We have full access 24-7 to a God who has created us and loves us deeply. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to go get cleaned up to come in and, and meet with him, to have relationship with him. It takes honesty about where we are. It takes courage. It really means coming with our sincere, messy, imperfect hearts and bringing those messy lives to the one who loves us the most. This morning, I'm sure you've noticed that we're doing things a little different. Um, let me put your minds to rest. We have not fired the worship team, um, nor did they quit. Uh, we just managed to relocate them uh, to the front. And the reason that we did that is that we didn't want anything to distract you, to hinder you from the worship that, the song worship that we're about to enter in this morning. That veil is still torn. God's relationship with each and every one of us is real if we allow it to be. And so we're not going to tell you over these next few minutes how to respond. This is your time. If you want to stand, you want to raise a hand, you want to make your way over to the prayer wall that we have, if you want to write out an I'm sorry, you want to write out I love you, this is your time to just thank God for who he is. Your circumstances may be really, really horrible right now, but God is still the same. And he's wanting you to sing that song and to believe in that truth and to live in the truth that the veil is permanently torn. Let's respond.